0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: This is Paul Hawksby. And this is Luke Moore. And welcome once again to the H&J Daily, some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. We had live sport during the course of the show today, which was the uh, Tide Tuesday football. We do it every year with Andy Smart. He plays and he commentates for us Uh I think it was about 600 aside. It was quite a small-scale game today. It was like the yeah. equivalent of five aside.
2: Baffling, violent, yet compelling. Yeah. I'll so uh,
1: you'll hear all the updates this afternoon from uh, that game and a bit of the history of it. Uh, we were joined in the studio by the author and journalist Donald McCrae and uh, uh, as part of the H and J Book Club, um, Luke suggested Dark Trade, Donald's book on the world of boxing, which he wrote in the 90s still stands up now fascinating read and uh, yeah it's great to hear about up. it from him yeah, yeah it's yeah, fantastic yeah.
2: it's a great story
1: so that should do us really so enjoy it mm. and now uh, we're very fortunate today to have some live sport yes and uh, this is great this is the uh, it's it's the traditional game of uh, pancake day shrove tide tuesday football uh, in Ashbourne in Derbyshire. Um, I really can't do it just... If you've never seen it before... Were you not familiar with
2: it? I was familiar with it, yeah. Um, it's been back, it's been going on for 400 years more, yeah. doesn't it? Or something like that. Yeah, since 1660 or something like that.
1: So this is uh, the intrepid uh, reporter, match reporter, ball runner, comedy store player, Farnborough fan, uh, and regular here in the upwards and downwards. It is... Uh, our very own Andy Smart. Good afternoon, Andy. Hi, Andy. Afternoon, afternoon. Now, for those that don't know, Andy, just briefly explain what you're about to uh, enter into and maybe a little bit of the the history uh, of uh, this game.
3: Right. Well, uh, the ball gets thrown up at two o'clock. There's two games on the the Tuesday and the Ash Wednesday as well. And uh, when the ball goes up at two o'clock, it's sort of grabbed in a big scrum, really, called the hug. Hmm. And then the hug... Moves through the town and the goals are uh, three miles apart. I've been to both goals already this morning to have right. a look. And uh, the, the, the river's not too high because you have to jump in the river <laughs> and then bang the ball three times against a millstone to score.
2: Right, right. Bit more complex. Uh, Is there
1: VAR this year? They introduced it. <laughs>
3: Well, they, they should. I've I've played on a number of occasions where people have shoved the ball. Of when it gets dark, it's very difficult to know where the ball is, and sometimes they someone will smuggle it out of the hug, and you're all just still pushing and shoving this, this ball that isn't there, and they're running off down the street.
1: It's like a medicine yeah. ball, Andy, isn't it? It's a kind of similar in size and it's about weight. That sort
3: of size. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. quite heavy, yeah,
1: it's, not easy to maneuver.
3: Made, made of solid cork with a uh, beautifully uh, painted leather casing, which gets scraped off during the game and then yeah. they paint it back on. Because they're worth about £1,000 each of you. So oh. it's, <laughs> it's
1: not really football, is it? It's, it's, you know, it's it's this not...
3: how football was originally. Yeah. yeah. This is how football was the one that was banned by Oliver Cromwell because people weren't practising their archery enough. Yeah. He banned football like this. And um, there's been many attempts in the 1880s and 90s. The police here tried to get it banned every show of Tuesday and every show Tuesday uh, they'd find some way of playing. In fact, they used to smuggle the balls under the women's bushels wow. into the town square.
2: Andy, how and, long did the games uh, go on for?
3: Uh, till ten o'clock. So if there's no goal by ten o'clock, then the police confiscate the ball, and that's it.
2: <laughs> How many goals do you? Know? How many goals? It's not going to be a nil-nil. It's well, you know, They're often. They well, often. It, they're very it, tight affairs. It, it, they're often one-nil. Yeah, oh. it's,
3: it's often one-nil because unless they score a goal before five o'clock, mm. if they score a goal before five, then they throw up another ball. Right. Um. But uh, yeah, it's usually one-nil.
1: If you get and a goal on the breakaway, the... Away, Andy. I mean, I suppose that's quite difficult. It Can take two or well, three yeah, hours they, to get one on the breakaway. Uh, <laughs>
3: The breakaways are very important because <laughs> they've got these these fell runners. They're like whippets, Wow. and they they they're dressed completely different to the the ones that go in the hug. They, right. They've got like they've got their trainers and they've got they've got their, their high quality running gear on. And when the ball gets out to them, they're off. You can't catch. Them and they could run the sort car. of three
2: miles to score. Without being
3: caught? Yeah. They can run run so far, and then there'll be another runner further down the road, and he'll take over, and he'll run it. And
2: and what's legal in terms of how... So if if one of those little whippet guys had the ball, what's legal in terms of how you can tackle them and take the ball from them?
3: Well, you can do anything. (laughs) Blimey. It's it's quite violent. (laughs) Blimey, right. No, I wouldn't say it was violent. I mean, it is... (laughs) Because, you know, they do, they do respect each other, mm. both teams. Um, cause they all live here all year round. Yeah, so, of course. You know, it, it, it's, it, it's, you, you're going to have to live with that for the next year. So they don't, they don't tend to be too... I mean, occasionally there's they, your broken arm and your broken leg that someone's settling something. <laughs> and um, <laughs> well, that's very rare, very rare.
1: How it, often, uh, Andy, it, do you... How, how many other people like you come in just for the game, would you say?
3: I'd say this probably, it probably doubles the population of uh, Ashbourne for the day, yeah. Okay,
2: right. And last year was a draw, by the way, and I'm just looking at some of the rules. Um, committing murder or manslaughter is prohibited. <laughs> it's good to get that one out of the way first. <laughs> the ball may not be carried in a motorised vehicle, and the ball may not be oh, hidden in a bag that's, or rucksack. That's
3: a brilliant story, that mm. one, because um, one <laughs> year, the, when they used to have the train, the, um, the, the downards managed to throw the ball through the train window, and some bloke on the train threw it out again near the goal. Right. And, uh, and <laughs> that's why. And also, there was two guys on a motorbike once who managed to get the ball, and they were off. No one could stop them. Mm. So that's why there's the no motorised vehicles.
1: Fantastic. And look, Andy, we're going to leave it there. We're back to you at two. You start at two o'clock, don't you? That's when the ball yeah. goes up, and you'll be ball goes
3: up at two. Yeah, we sing the national anthem and old lang syne, and then they chuck the ball in the air, and then all 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 mayhem starts.
1: And uh... Uh, if people have heard you before, you do get in amongst it. We've often had you reporting
3: with the ball inches away. Yeah, I played for five hours last year. I didn't touch the ball
2: once. (laughs) Sounds like my football career. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: yeah,
2: I I I
1: hope to improve on that this year. Yeah, so some of the Bournemouth players at the weekend. (laughs) So, uh, thank you, Andy. We'll catch up with you later. I'll
3: speak
1: to you later yeah here we are Andy Smart Uh, will be right in the thick of that 1667 they think was the first
2: one you never fancied that Paul you never fancied getting yourself up to Derbyshire and getting involved
1: you know I have really but you know obviously working the Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast
2: Hawksby and
1: Jacobs book club on talk sport (laughs) Yeah, time for the book club once again. A um, fairly new addition to the show over the last few weeks. And it's normally myself and Andy and Luke comes in and uh, we'll discuss a sports book. We were talking cycling last week. We've been in the world of uh, football. So there's so much great boxing writing. We thought it was only right we headed in that direction. And a book that always pops up. If you go if you and put in top ten boxing books online, invariably one that's uh, always in the mix is Dark Trade by uh, Donald McRae. And we're very pleased to say Donald's joined us in the studio. Good to see you. Good to see you, Paul. Fantastic. um it, It's probably worth kind of t- going right back to basics. It's, it's, a, it's a book that first came out in 1996, and it was kind of a, a five-year labor of love and a very kind of personal book to you. But It's not just really. It, it's kind of first your kind of story is it, as a young boy in South Africa sure. into boxing yeah. and then entering that world and speaking to lots of great fighters of that era.
4: Yeah, it took, as you said, it took five years, and um, there were many times I wasn't sure if it was going to get published, because after about two years, um, I submitted it to ten publishers, and um, nine of them said, boxing books just do not sell, there's no future, mm. <laughs> go and do another subject, but I was just sort of obsessed with the subject, and I was lucky enough to meet people like Mike Tyson, Chris Eubank, Michael Watson, Oscar De La Hoya, and James Tony, who are all compelling figures in their different ways. So I just thought, to hell with it, whether it gets published or not, I cannot miss this opportunity because I got to the point where someone like James Tony, who in sort of 1994 was considered pound for pound the best boxer in the world, mm. he would allow me to walk out with him to a world titled fight and be with him for the last hours before that fight. So I was in a privileged position. Mm.
2: And I think, I think one of the central themes to the book, which stayed with me, is this idea that, you're compelled by boxing as a sport, but you're also quite repelled by it as well. And and you do a very, very good job of, obviously, as, as the title suggests, mm. of understanding just how dangerous it is and how dark the world can be, sure. um, particularly among boxers, perhaps, that don't really achieve an awful lot in their career, relatively speaking. Sure. But even these men you've mentioned there, and it really is that who's who of boxing of that era, it's something unites them, which is this compulsion to, 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 to do what they do.
4: Of course. Initially, the book was going to be called Showtime. Uh, you know, Jimmy Lennon Jr., yeah. before a big fight in Vegas, he would come out oh. and say, Showtime. Yeah. But I thought it was a bit of a naff title. And um, also, early on in the book, I was quite close to Michael Watson, and I was with him a lot before he fought Chris Eubank for the second time. And unfortunately, as we all know, Michael ended up in a coma, and his life was changed forevermore. Um, so that fight did make me understand that boxing is a dark and difficult business. And later on, Nigel Benn fought McClellan, which was a savage battle, and McClellan mm. lost his sight um, in a wheelchair. Um, sort of, most of his mental faculties have gone. So this is what seventy-five like percent of his hearing as well. Isn't he absolutely, as well? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is what boxing can do. The other. Books, uh, other boxers in the book who unfortunately lost their lives. So although I love boxing and I'm fascinated by the individuals, I could not ignore the fact that it comes with a somber mm. kind of danger. Yeah. I think
1: that's the key, isn't it? I think all of us as boxing fans, we all are here, we're all conflicted. We We love something. We love watching it as a spectacle, but... But something in us, maybe deep within us, says maybe it's wrong, but w- w- we still love it.
4: And I think, Paul, if you watch it on television, it kind of sanitizes it to a certain extent. Definitely. If you're if you live, yeah. you can hear the sound of the blows. Yeah. I was so,
2: the first time I saw a boxing bout, I was entirely unprepared for that. Yeah. The, the brutality of it, the sound is absolutely right. The sound is incredible how hard they punch.
4: Yeah. And when you're personally involved, you know, you, you become quite close to the fighters. To see, not that I would call myself a mate of theirs, but I had shared a lot with them. And to see them um, in difficult situations was, was testing. But having said all that negative things, um, you know, I, I'm lucky enough each week I interview different sportsmen. Mm. And they're no one like a boxer because they are so honest, so open. I think being punched in the face <laughs> lends a certain candor to them. And, um they're amazingly giving and open to someone like me who's not in their world and, and just allowing me to see what it's like to be a professional fighter.
1: The, the relationship with James Tony, especially of all the fighters you mentioned, became a very close one, wasn't it? I mean, you, yeah. from day one, was he always happy and him and his, his kind of, would come onto his manager and, and, and the kind of entourage around him in a moment, but was he, was he happy to kind of give his time from day one?
4: He was, um, you know, I'm a white South African and uh, meeting people like Mike Tyson and James Toney, um, who was a former crack dealer. Um, tough black guys um, I was uh, thinking how were they going to be towards me but they were amazingly welcoming they were a bit bemused my South African past but I think I s- understood racism quite well having lived under apartheid and Tony was fascinating because he was a former crack dealer he was a violent man but all the people who encircled him were women his uh, manager, Jackie Cullen was a suburban Jewish housewife. Mm. His mother was always with him. His fiance, who became his wife, was with him. And then they had a little girl. So there was this sort of entourage of, of women um, with, with James Tony, which I thought was fascinating. And um, I think the women helped me also get to know him. And mm. I think he built up a trust with me. And I think that continues today. Mm. There's, and a fascinating he, po- sorry Paul, there's a yeah. fascinating
2: part in the book that Don covers where, James Tony is continually getting up to mischief and fighting and his mum sort of grabs him by the ear takes him to a boxing gym and says look if you're going to fight at least learn how to do it properly and, and that's how it starts isn't it?
4: Absolutely and she's a, a baker so she was always you can see my girth is quite ample yeah. <laughs> and I blame it on, on that book because she was always sending me her speciality cakes and pies but she was a hard-talking woman, and um, she spoke in ghetto language to James when he was sort of getting out of line. And um, again, fascinating just to see the dynamic between a fighter and his mother.
1: Yeah. The, the the other thing that comes across is that most of the time when when journalists speak to boxers, they say, "Hey champ, how's how's camp going? Looking forward to the big fight." It's fairly superficial. So you're going in there and you're taking them to places, uh, kind of conversationally. Yeah. They don't often go to i mean boxers you know they can have mood swings they can switch quite often can't they many of them so was was that an issue they can
4: and i I'm, but i think most most fighters if you show respect towards them they're they they're decent um, tyson was the one i guess who was always a little alarmed because this was at the height of his infamy and um tyson one-to-one could be charming fascinating highly intelligent And then if the media came in, he would suddenly flip and he would kick tables over and he was a violent man. So there were many times with Tyson where I was a little unsure how things were going to be, but I I was lucky. He was always fabulous with me.
2: But Don, how did you go about getting access to to a star the size of Mike Tyson, as as Paul says in the pomp of his career, um, for for the purposes of this book? Because most people would imagine there being a huge entourage around him and it would be impossibly difficult to get near him. Sure,
4: I'm... Sort of in when I when I started the book, sort of early nineties, um, Tyson I I had met him back in the nineteen eighties and I think that helped. Um, but certainly in ninety one to nineteen ninety six, when he was not in jail, um there was a huge entourage. Don King was always wanting to mm. keep charge of Mike Tyson. So he was the one difficult fighter and towards the end of the book, part of my battle is to get access to Tyson again. And then I, you know, many years later, in 2014, I, I spent a couple of days with Tyson in Henderson, just outside Vegas. And we looked back at those days and he spoke about the lunacy of it. Mm. And he, he sort of said that was just how it was because he was making so much money for other people. They always wanted to keep a wall up between him and, and people like me.
1: Mm. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from TalkSport. Let's check in with Andy Smart because they are underway in the Shrovetide Tuesday football in Ashbourne in Derbyshire, the traditional- game played every pancake day and Andy Smart is playing and reporting Andy, give us a picture of what's going on It sounds lively right? Yeah, it is lively yeah,
3: yeah. Obviously it's the uh, early exchanges there's a lot more people involved than will be later on The ball went up from the plinth uh, at two minutes past two and then it moved about 50 yards uh, towards the downers goal They seem to have been drinking more than the, the uh, uppers <laughs> And uh, I saw them outside the Wheels pub. They were doing a, a very angry war chart before they came over. Andy, to the is square. drinking
2: a key part of this? Is it a key part?
3: No, not really. <laughs> it's just that there are a lot of pubs in the town. And, you, you, yeah, it's pe- people play for like two hours, then they'll go and have a drink, and then they'll come back and find the, find the ball again, and then they'll play for another two hours, and they'll have another drink.
2: Can the ball so, actually go into a pub? Could it go in legally? It could,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean, one year it went right. Yeah, there was a new uh, manager at Woolworth. <laughs> Hang on, the ball's coming this way. Oh, my God. Right, i okay. go. Come on, down with it! Get in there! Right, I'm up against the plinth. I'm in the hug, I'm in the hug. He's
2: in the hug. <laughs> this is great stuff.
3: <laughs> yeah, okay, get, get it down! All right, it's popped up twice now.
1: How I'm close is up. the ball to you, Andy, as we, as we speak to you? Uh,
3: but, when I said I'm in the hug, it was a, I reckon it was about 10 feet away. Wow. Could get a touch oh, soon. No, could get a touch. Yeah. I could get a touch if it pops up. Talk to us it's about Woolworths. Oh, it's, it's going now towards the lake now. Just, I'm not going in the lake. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, not in the money we're paying yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> Apparently, oh, if you. Apparently, <laughs> you, yeah,
2: you were about to say the ball went into Woolworths. I'm sure you were.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. The had a new manager at Woolworths and he wouldn't give him a day off because he said there'd be lots of tourists in town. And so he kept the shop open. So they got the ball and they just took it straight through the centre, in the front door and out the back door, right (laughs) right down the middle aisle. Did about £2,000 worth of damage and all the shops have been shut since then. Oh, no. And they... And all, all the workers get the day off,
1: so it worked. It worked, yeah. It's a method in the madness. Andy, we'll leave it there. We'll back to you later on. Let's hope you get a touch. Thanks very much. Cheers, Andy. Yeah,
3: I'll, yeah I'll, Hopefully, in the next hour, I'll get one.
1: Brilliant. It's <laughs> absolutely compelling stuff, Paul. It's, well, it's live it's, sport at its finest. It's
2: under the fingernails of sport. The, uh,
1: the, the idea of kind of playing a bit, then going to the pub for now, then coming back. It's a bit like Brentford when uh, <laughs> Terry O'Lock and Stan Bowles were there. Pub on each corner of the ground. Apparently. Yeah. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast Yes, Donald McCray is with us in the studio. We're chatting about his book, uh, Dark Trade and the World of uh, Boxing. And uh, we mentioned earlier on that James Tony and the time that you spent with him and the access you got uh, to his world. And remember, about year a year or so ago, you caught up with James Tony again, interviewed him, and the, one of the questions you asked him was why Why are you still boxing? He was over here for an exhibition, and that is really another yeah. theme, isn't it? The, the boxers maybe not knowing the time when to to hang up the gloves. I
4: know, and I didn't see James for many years because partially because I just um, felt so uncomfortable watching him fight that I was not going to go and sort of support. I would support him, but not uh, not fighting. Um, so I had to wait until it came to the end, and um, he was sort of kidding me uh, with me and sort of saying, oh, but I'm fine. But his speech was badly slurred. And his mother, um, she admits that, you know, he suffered a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that's the curse of, I think, for most sportsmen and women, it's so tough to give up. Sure. But boxing, although it's so difficult, um, yeah. people get, it's in their blood and they're obsessed with it and cannot let
2: go. And I th- th- I th- sorry, Paul, I was just going to say, yeah. and I think th- th- another one of the themes that goes through the book is, a lot of these top boxers, if not all of them, are boxing for a reason, right? So Chris Eubank's reason is to be accepted in it by the establishment yeah. and to be this guy that he wants to be, and for people to give him respect. I mean, sure. s- obviously, different boxers have different reasons. Some would be to to make some money for their family or the rest of it. Yeah. And and with the James Tony thing, I think that comes into play because if if it's something that he absolutely identifies with and it's given him a way out of this other path he may have gone down it's going to be naturally very frightening for him to stop it would be more frightening for him to stop than it would be to carry on despite what we all think looking at him
4: yeah absolutely and i think it's also the intensity of the business you know we all love sport and we think oh imagine playing wimbledon final or you know a champions league final fantastic but when you're a fighter um you have those same intense feelings this is a huge massive event but your life is on the line Mm, mm. and if you can win there's nothing like it and they get sort of addicted to this um, intensity so many have said that that's why they keep going because there's nothing else in life that can match it
1: and I think that's apart from that there's other thing I talked to Chris Eubank about this years ago and just after he'd finished and I think it's the routine, I mean, we've seen that with Frank yeah. Bruno, he talked about the routine, that structure to your life that suddenly goes, and you're not going to the gym, you're not training for yeah. a fight, the kind of peaks and troughs, working to a fight, having a break, then working to another fight, Absolutely. and just the endorphin rush of being that fit all yeah. the time, of and course. the kind of happy hormones, it, I think that's basic things in their lives. Yeah, because
4: so. I think you only get into boxing if your life has been chaotic and difficult, because it is such a mm. hard sport. Um and yes, it's it's the discipline and, and having something to focus on, which I think all sportsmen and women, once that's taken away, it is difficult. But boxers often, they can be highly intelligent, but almost always have little education. Mm. So again, the opportunities for them outside of boxing are, are limited. But yes, Paul, I think it's that order which helps them enormously.
2: And And, and towards the end of the book, Don, you talk in quite glowing terms about the boxers you've experienced and and worked with and and, and followed around, and you say quite explicitly you like them, you find yourself warming to them, you like them as people. Did you expect that to be the case when you went into writing the book?
4: Um, well, I I think so because I, I always um, loved boxing ever since I was a little boy. As, a, as the book starts in South Africa, and, and I was tiny, you know, five six years old, and Muhammad Ali was to, coming towards the end. But I just absolutely loved Ali, and I just thought he's a magnetic personality. And so I would follow boxers and see them being interviewed. And although some were intimidating, most of them always spoke quite openly. So I think I was quite naive. I um, can't even think who was the first fighter I ever interviewed, but. I just went in to a gym and, you know, asked to speak to whoever the fighter was, and it, it just kind of happened. Mm. So, um, no, I wasn't surprised, mm. How
1: How much has changed on it? If you wanted to go out and write uh, Dark Trade 2, do you think you would get the same access? You th- how, much, how different would it be if you were starting a game I think,
4: now? I think um, access would be similar. I think you would get access to most people. Um you know, since the book came out, I guess Floyd May- Mayweather became the most famous fighter in the world. He doesn't fe- mm. he features in a new update of Dark Trade, which came out in the USA just yeah. last week. Um, he was much more difficult to get, um, but no, I think on the whole, boxing is um, a bizarre world that um, you can still get access to most fighters in the Very world. Very
2: quickly, but, what did you make of Floyd? Ah, uh,
4: complex individual. Again, um, a lot to do with his father. He'd been a drug dealer, and Floyd had nearly got shot as a baby. His father held him up to shield himself. Um, so, you know, he comes out of a dark and chaotic life. But money motivates Floyd. Um, fascinating. I don't think I quite... Fell for him as I, as I fell for some of the other fighters who feature in the book.
1: Yeah. Mm. Fathers as well. That's a recurring thing. Tony's uh, father and, uh, and De La Hoya's father. And, you know, yeah. so many of these kind of carry. He's, 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 he's petrified of being scared of him, De La Hoya. Yeah. He admits it, doesn't he? And,
4: mm. you know, the, the fathers often are living via the sons and yeah. um, can be quite violent towards the sons. Roy Jones Jr. as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Jones Jr., one of the best boxers who certainly lived in the last 50 years. His father, when he was when jones jr was 10 11 his father would use a lead piping and hiss his legs to make him move more fluidly wow so (laughs) tough old business Yeah.
1: yeah So uh, you, you continue to uh, kind of write in the in the world of boxing. It can, kind of continues to fascinate you, doesn't it? You were in to talk about Emil Griffiths. And you looked at his, his life, and that, that's another fascinating read that we recommend. But you're, you're still working and writing about
2: boxing.
4: Yes, I've got a, a new book coming out in June, um, which is called in, S- in Sunshine or in Shadow, and it's about boxing um, in Belfast in the 1970s and 80s at right. the height of the Troubles. So it's quite a political book. But again, used, uh, boxing, I think, sheds a little bit of hope, which you would not. Expected to, and yeah, I spent again almost four years working yeah. on that one. But. I mean,
1: Barry was a kind of unifying force, wasn't he, at that time? Barry McGregor. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, you talk about Ali at the beginning of the book, and you say, you know, that old school teacher of yours, uh, yes. a white South African who was absolutely loved Ali and kind of transcended. Well, this where,
4: you know, even I didn't have the political consciousness, but I was this young kid of 12, 13, and I couldn't understand that these deeply racist teachers would exalt Ali. And some of mm. us kids would say, but, sir. He's a he's a black man. Hmm. Oh no, it doesn't matter. He's not one of our blacks. You right. know, he's a good black. <laughs> right. So I was thinking, wow, hmm, this is bizarre. Even at it, that age, you realised that was absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, well, ridiculous. It just, yeah. yeah, it didn't yeah. make sense. But I, and I just thought Ali must have such um, a power to actually change the perceptions of these deeply racist men. Yeah. So that's why I think boxing, I always, you know, I uh, was fascinated by. And, and
2: so again, as I mentioned at the top of the, at the top of this, you're, you're, the, one of the central themes is is your love-hate relationship with the sport yeah. and you and you don't gloss over the difficulties of it and the brutality of it and you even mentioned there that you you pretend to people that you're looking forward to finishing the book so you don't have to keep watching boxing but actually you you are almost addicted to watching it and you love it and you're compelled by it. what is it that makes you keep coming back to it as a sport do you think um i think it's i mean
4: i love all sports but I think again as i said before there's there's nothing like boxing sometimes it can be farcical and comical and a big hyped up fight turns out to be as dull as ditch water (laughs) as that happens such a lot Mm. but when you have an absolutely fascinating fight between two men who put their hearts and souls on the line um it just absolutely compels me and as i said i think it's just the humanity of the fighters which they are willing to share um makes them for me as a writer wonderful to to do to do books about them, mm.
1: so uh, Dark Trade uh, still available. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Can, yeah, and uh, so you've just you've just for the first time. It was it recently that it's been launched in the states as yeah,
4: well. Yeah, half years later, yeah. um, it's just come out in the, in the US, and so I'm quite excited about that. And I've did a I did a twenty thousand word update which includes people like Floyd Mayweather and others so um well,
2: this copy I've got here is from 2014 it's got an updated version as well Yeah. Um, so it's definitely very much uh, still available so do yeah. go out and get it now It's Dark Trade by uh Donald McCray
1: and before Thinks we let you go your your favorite uh, boxing books your sports books
4: oh, it's a difficult question mm. um I would say there's a book called King of the World which again has a boxing theme David Remnick who was mm. Editor of the New Yorker, and it's about Muhammad Ali, Sonny Liston, and Floyd Patterson in the early nineteen sixties, and I think it's a, a wonderful book.
1: Fantastic, another recommendation. Lovely to see you on. Thank you very much Thanks for coming you in. in, Paul. Thanks, to, Thanks And to we'll speak to you when uh, when your next book is out. Join Thank us in you. the studio. You have me back. I'll Absolutely. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast from Talksport. Anyway, let's head back to um, Ashbourne in Derbyshire, where the upwards and downwards are going head-to-head, as they always do traditionally, have been for 400-plus years, in the Shrovetide Tuesday football. Uh, Andy Smart is our reporter and, indeed, competitor. Andy, what's happening?
3: Well, we were having a great game today. I don't know whether it's the good weather, but we've had uh, a bit of a tour of the, the town in the last hour, since I last spoke to you. Uh, the ball uh, went got stuck by the fire station fence, then it moved back across the car park, up through one of the little alleyways onto Church Street by the Millennium Clock. And then it came along there and then down past uh, Wiggly Shoes, (laughs) down the alleyway there, Um, and then we lost it. It just was moving so fast, you couldn't keep up with it. Uh, And it's gone through, it's gone, well, it went all the way to the railway hotel where the the uppers must have uh, made a stand and they turned it and brought it back into town. And now it's in the river by the bridge
2: wine bar.
1: It's it's still nil nil by the sound of it, Andy. Still no goals it's still as y- yet. Yeah, 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 Andy.
2: Yeah, remind, yeah. remind listeners which team you're playing for. I'm playing for the Downards.
3: and we've we've been putting it's the best I've seen the Downards play for years. They're really up for it today. they their midfield are playing a diamond game. Uh G,
1: uh, G- uh, sorry, it's John in Liverpool. He's been in touch. He said, "Guys, yeah. could you ask Andy to go through the lineups for the two teams today?" <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here for about two hours, John.
3: <laughs>
1: but
2: uh,
3: it is about, about six hundred decibels. Yeah, today. Andy.
2: Also, really key information is: Are you anywhere near the infamous Woolworths, the site of the uh, Woolworths yeah.
3: it's <laughs> now closed down? Yeah. Obviously,
1: but are you
2: near the site? Are you near the site? Yeah, is there I'm a plaque?
3: The site, yeah, they, no, they, they doff their exactly caps. Out. I'm sure. Yeah. That wasn't that, that was a day of shame, I think. They, actually, the ball just came past it. And now it's in the river. Or No, it's stuck in the... Actually, it's in the courtyard of the bridge. So unless it comes over the wall into the... There's about 70 people waiting in the river for it to come over the wall.
1: Have you refueled uh, yet, Andy, with an isotonic lager? Have you stopped or have you been going full gun into yeah. the game?
3: No, no. We When it got stuck against the fence at the fire station, uh, I'm with my mate Ralph, and he said, uh, he said well, they said we're here for about 10 minutes, just go and get a pint. And then we got we got two pints, and the ball just came over this wall right next to us as we walked back. <laughs> and and the pints are, are basically all over us now. So, <laughs> so, it, so give us a perspective. As a young kid ran by, he went get cans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: absolutely. It's a school boy, a schoolboy <laughs> era. Yeah, it is, which you've been right yeah. by a schoolboy. Andy, how so, close? How close is
3: ball boy? Yeah.
2: How close is the ball to one of the goals at this point? Give us a bit of an idea how close we are to scoring. Oh see no, we're goal.
3: still right in the middle of the town. Oh right, okay. It's still,
2: it's still a mile and a half. I'm impatient. I'm new to this. I'm being too <laughs> impatient. It's a slow burner, isn't it? This game. <laughs> I've I mean, yeah, yeah. probably yeah. got time
3: to drive probably up there before
1: there's a goal. Yeah. Any injuries yet? Everybody okay? Yeah,
3: we've had we've had a couple of rib injuries and. A couple of uh, leg injuries and uh, uh, ankles going over, oh, um, and one one broken nose so far. Oh, but there's, 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 <laughs> flying pain for an hour.
1: Hour <laughs> <laughs> and fifteen is yeah, blammy. They, it's carnage.
3: Yeah, but they know, but they're all at their full energy at the moment. It's when they get tired that will yeah. it, it'll, it'll even up a bit then. But um, it's. Uh, it's nothing seems to be happening yet, unless it's in someone's back. Oh, maybe it's in someone's back garden next to the bridge. Well, now. that's
1: the trouble. People's gardens allowed. get trashed, don't they, uh,
3: Andy? They do, but but then the the uh, there's a, a team uh, go around on the Saturday after the game, and they repair any damage done to anyone's all Gardens. Right. Very good. Free of charge.
1: I wonder if anybody's ever moved to Ashbourne and thought and didn't know about this. Oh, I mean, it, must imagine now. that, like <laughs> a month of being there, it's just like
3: say, uh, pancake day. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The best the best one is when, I mean, it's like uh, two years ago, there was a lorry, a Polish lorry driving through town, and the ball just came out of nowhere, and the guy had to stop, and the, the ball was trapped up against his lorry for a good 20 minutes, and he just was sat in the cab going, what is this?
1: <laughs> a great British tradition. <laughs> That's
2: uh, what cheers. it
1: is exactly. <laughs> so, look, Andy, we'll be back to you just before four o'clock, just before we uh, right. we hand over okay. to the boys and get an update. Thanks, Andy. Cheers, Andy. All right. Cheers. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Let's check in very quickly with Andy Smart. Upwards and downwards are playing in the Ash uh, in Ashbourne in the Shrove Tide Tuesday football. Uh, it was nil nil when we last left Andy. I've got a feeling it might still be nil nil now. <laughs> uh, so goalless as it stands, the ball hasn't moved much. We understand since we last spoke to you.
3: It has not moved in the last... Well, since I last spoke to you, it's still up against the wall in the River Henmore. Uh, if it comes downstream towards the... Uh the, da- the downwards goal then that's good but if it goes the other way it'll have to go through a, a 150 metre tunnel under the Waitrose car park
1: <laughs> 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 oh the magic of the Waitrose car park um, oh, yeah, Paul, yeah, Paul's yeah. been in touch and I can't believe you haven't got Motty commentating on this now he's part of the team and James says I teach English in China thank you very much my students want to learn English <laughs> culture and we've just added the upwards and downwards match to the list <laughs> along with the cheese rolling both things no, you're no. involved with you're big in China clearly. I know yeah Yeah. yeah.
3: No, there you go well, I Andy. Wish, uh, I wish Nick, yeah, Nick Giordini is retired, uh, 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 an ex farmer player. I just want to say big thank you to him for all of the games that he's given us. And uh, finally, Barrow will be crying in his beer tonight. Oh, there
1: we are. So, a nice little send off uh, Enjoy the rest of the game, Andy. Let's hope we see some goals. And we will catch up. We'll see you at Cheltenham next week.
3: Yeah, see you next week. Cheers, Andy. Yeah, well, Andy
1: Smart, who's been reporting and indeed playing in the upwards and downwards game. Compelling, and wasn't that it? The game continues. We're trying to get any goals as they go in, and you'll just have to look up online, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know Adrian's that fuss. The Hawksby and Jacobs daily podcast from
2: TalkSport.
1: So there we are. That was this afternoon's show. One of the listeners has already got in touch and said to. Uh, they've gone straight down the bookshop and picked up the two books we've been chatting about today so uh,
2: that's good isn't it the system
1: works putting a few quid in uh, author's pockets that's always good Luke thank you for your efforts over the last couple
2: of weeks it's been an absolute pleasure it's been a real education for me appreciate your time thank you
1: if you uh, if you like Luke's work you can catch him uh, on the season ticket every Friday with Danny Kelly and uh, Laura Woods from seven o'clock and I'll catch up with you soon cheers Uh, tomorrow Charlie Baker is here once again have a great evening